Hey, we're back. Welcome back. Another week of the Peachtree Post Soccer about Atlanta for Atlanta in Atlanta. Hey, I'm Marietta watching all of your greats rise from the grave to rejoin their teams. I'm Jarrett Smith. Representing the South Contingency, our unofficial airport mayor, and also currently writing as many headlines as he can about the questions he wants to ask your Klinsman about Landon Donovan. It's Jason Longshore. <laughs> Wouldn't it be amazing if Landon Donovan comes back and he's got, what, six regular season games, he, he scores three or four goals, has a run in the playoffs, and then the hype starts about the Hex and Mexico. Could you imagine that? Yeah, and I can imagine that Jurgen's going to call him in, running through training camp, talk him up, and then leave him off of the roster. You're an evil man. <laughs> I've been called worse. <laughs> but welcome back to the Pete's Tree Post. Thanks for joining in with us. You can find us on Twitter, Jason Longshore. That's him. You can be found at Longshoe. Check him out, especially on Wednesday nights with the ATL Soccer Chats. On it'll be on Facebook Live. You can uh, keep up with what's going on and uh, asking your questions, make snide comments, all the like. I can be found at Jarrett underscore Smith. Check everything out on Dirty South Soccer over on SB Nation. Have uh, plenty of content, hashtag content, out for you all over the place. And uh, this week, taking a look at the ATL Roundup as per usual. A little bit of soccer history, thanks to our resident historian, Jason Longshore. Uh, We'll take a look at Landon Donovan, because that was in the news today. And finally, wrapping things up with the MLS. Uh, First, though, ATL Roundup. Now, we uh, take a look, Jason. Uh, There's been news about international signings coming in. Um, Never a dull moment. No, uh, and I think we're only really scratching the surface of what this is going to be like as we get closer to the, the next transfer window. Bastian Schweinsteiger, you know, we've talked about for a while now. There were actual links in the past week of Atlanta United and Minnesota and Chicago talking to either him or his people about a move. So we'll see where that goes. And then the crazy one today is Gabriel Bonlahor has been linked to an MLS expansion team. So that's either us or Minnesota. That's um, both of those are really interesting. Um, we went over, we see, we've gone over this Schweinsteiger thing before, and my issue still stands that I don't want, even if you buy him down from, uh, from a designated player slot, I don't want two guys who can't play 90 minutes on the field at the same time at any given moment like that, where I have to burn two subs just for guys who can't go 90 minutes. Um, especially if his fitness is going to be an issue. Um, Obama is a different thing and that one's kind of late breaking. So we're just, we're still trying to dig everything out of that one. And I know um, opinions change, um, you know, we'll figure out what we, what, what we can expect. But I think part of this plays into a talk that was, uh, that I saw in 442 and I mentioned last night or yeah, last night on the ATL soccer chat about formations and the idea of, you know, I, <laughs> I'd be interested to see him kind of play up front uh, in kind of a 4-4-2 um, off of Kenwin Jones' shoulder kind of thing if you bring him in in that situation. Um, I don't know how I, I haven't kind of, I haven't really hashed out a full opinion on how I feel about it with a lot of, it, as with a lot of these moves, Jason, I'm to the point of what does it cost? Yeah, and that definitely comes into play here. And that that's completely where I'm at with Schweinsteiger. Uh, if you can get him 
at a suitable number, I would be a lot more willing to consider it. If you're talking designated player type money, I just I just don't think it makes sense. Um, his durability and his age are just too much of a question. And then you have to factor in that Chicago reportedly has his discovery rights. So you're going to have to you know, spend something to get those. And how much do you want to invest in a player that I feel like you could probably get more value for that position uh, with other players? So it's kind of where I'm at there. Agbon Lahore... Ah, man, I really don't know. Um, he's only 29, by the way. Yeah, and that jumped out to me. Um, you know, he's been he's been in you know the limelight for quite a while. He's played over 300, close to 400 games with Aston Villa. He you know, was there since he was a 13 year old. Um, I, I do have to confess, I'm not up with all of my Aston Villa you know rumors and scuttlebutt and all that. I don't but, think you're alone there. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I'm the only one on that one. But it's a, it's a kind of crazy situation what happened to him and recently. And you know, this is a kid who, not a kid now, but he came up as a kid through their academy, and he's a product of the team, and he's you know kind of a shining light of the club until this past year when he was named captain, and it's all fallen apart. And he definitely needs a change of scenery. I think that's. That's a given at this point. He reportedly turned down a deadline day move to Reading. Um, Villa's really trying to unload his salary, which is uh, I've seen as high as four million uh, pounds a year. <laughs> yeah. So then again, you get into how much is it going to cost, and you know how willing is Villa uh, in maybe eating some of that money and loaning him where Atlanta United is not paying the full salary, then it becomes a different situation. Uh, One of the reports that I read that I think you need to keep in mind here is that reportedly his agent is the one shopping this uh, and the one trying Ah. to make this happen. So, you know, is the agent kind of looking at a Jermaine Defoe type of situation where, bring him here, you know, play him for a year. He gets out of Villa. He gets that change of scenery. Say he comes over here and scores, you know, 10 goals. Um, And then his demand goes up and he makes a bigger move when he goes back. Maybe that's the situation. And if you get him on a year loan, I don't think you're going to be able to get him for anything less than a DP salary, though. That's the concern. And do you want to spend a DP salary on probably your second option at forward? I mean, I think he could play with Jones. I think he could play underneath him. Yeah. But, you know, is he going to be your primary option in the attack? Probably not. Do you want to spend that type of money and that type of resource on that? I don't know. I don't know. And then, you know, I think there are some character issues to look at. Uh, There's definitely lots of tabloid stuff out there on him uh, late last year. And you don't know the whole situation. Um, you don't know if just the pressure got to be too much and he kind of acted out or if there's some long-term character issues. Yeah, he kind of went the Laramie Tunsil route with the bong. That's a good description, yes. Um, just without the gas mask, I think. I don't know, the gas mask might have been there. It either could way, have been. Um, either way, <laughs> allegedly, yeah. Allegedly. 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 Um, either way, yeah, it's... It's an interesting situation. Um, 
And I don't, I think we've gone on the record about spending for designated player slots. I'm okay at this point if we use the DP slot to bring in a uh, really solid uh, dis- uh, distributing mid, maybe defensive mid who can be that first line of defense or spending DP money on a center back who you can know can anchor the line, as you have said, I think, uh, anchor the line for four to five years, a guy who can you can really build around. Um, both of those are more in line with what I would like to see. Uh, I, we talked about him last week, the kid from Duke, whose name escapes me. Yes. Jeremy Epabees. Just use him. Just get him. Get get him in the pick and play him underneath Jones. Um, yeah, I think there's other options to to have as a second forward to play with Jones. And I don't think you have to go designate a player out there. Um, I, think, I think you could pick up options to play underneath Jones in the expansion draft either. Maybe not, you know, not saying you'll find MVP-worthy guys, but you can find options. Possibly, yeah. Um, and well, that's something we're starting to go through. Uh, cheap plug alert on Dirty South. Oh, uh, you soccer. plug away. That's something we're starting to dig into. We just covered Chicago today, and we're going to go through all of the rosters and kind of you know, our projections of a protected list and then guys to keep in mind. So we'll start to look at what forwards are going to be available or could be available, and there will be some. Um Spoiler alert, there were opinions on Sean Johnson. Yeah, yeah, and there was some uh some pushback there too. That was that's good though. Um I like Sean. I think Sean's a a very good goalkeeper in this league, but I think there are some questions depending on how you want to play. And you know, part of his distribution and ability to play out of the back with his feet is something that his current manager, Velko Ponovic, has questioned and He's not the only one. I've had these conversations with people before as well, and it's something to keep in mind. Now, if if you're a, a club that is not married to building out of the back and using your goalkeeper as an outlet, then it's a different conversation. But again, I think there's going to be other options, so it's not like you have to take Johnson no matter what. I think... Zach McMath is a guy we've talked about many times. I see no way he's protected in Colorado, so he would be available. And Jimmy Maurer with the New York Cosmos could be available, depending on his contract situation. And there's going to be others. So you're going to have options there. But Johnson being a local guy is definitely somebody I think you have to consider. There's also the idea we we heard about this um this guy who wasn't really mentioned but uh the uh, the Tim Ream conversations that keep coming back. If you get a guy like Ream who can really distribute the ball out of the back, uh would it would you be more willing to take a guy like Johnson who might have uh issues distributing the ball at his feet? Uh I don't think they're necessarily related. Um you could also make the opposite argument that if you have a Tim Ream and then you can build a defense that can play out of the back and doesn't have to, you know, just be direct, then you want to have a goalkeeper who can play with them because then he's that, that reserve, that outlet. Um, I could see it go either way. I don't think they're necessarily related. I kind of like the idea of Ream. Um, the, the salary option is the question. I, I just like defenders who can play. I'm definitely partial to that. I don't want a defender who is, 
strictly a ball winner and if they have the ball at their feet it's a disaster you know i i want i think the game has kind of evolved past that for your better teams so you need defenders like a ream who can be technical and can play ream i do think is a center back and not a left back i think he can he can slide out there in a pinch for you but if if i'm considering him i'm considering him as a center back and I think he'd be among the better center backs in the league if you brought him in. Yeah, and I'm I I don't disagree. I'm totally on board with if if you want to bring him in. And even if you don't consistently play out of the back, and if that's not your game, I would still rather have a center back who can still distribute. Yeah, I mean I want that option. Yeah, even if well, you're not, like, and that's something. If you've watched Chicago this year, you can tell that that's been you know a foundation of of Ponovich and and what he wants to do. And even at times to the team's detriment, where they've they've tried to build out of the back when they're under intense pressure and they're not doing it effectively, so they're making mistakes. They've gotten better at it. Their results recently have shown you know they're they're playing better and they're starting to figure some things out. That's some of the players figuring things out, and that's some of Ponovich figuring things out. But, you know, you like to have that option, even if you're not going to be solely building out of the back and you're going to allow the players to make decisions. It's good to have a center back who can play, and I'm always partial to that type of defender. And a quick hit on the uh, Schweinsteiger thing before we move on to the lone players. Um, we had talked about this. Gordado and Schweinsteiger, apparently their discovery rights are with Chicago. Um, the more I've thought about it, the more I've wondered if Chicago can afford to let either one get let at least one of them go. That they they need to sign them at least one of them more than you know more than Atlanta necessarily does. Not to say that Atlanta doesn't need them. Maybe Minnesota wouldn't look at both of them, but Chicago has to do something. So I don't think they can afford to let both of them go. No, that's a great point. That's that's something I've been arguing uh, for a while about Chicago. They have to do something this offseason. They don't have the choice to sit and stand pat. So, you know, there's just too many too many poor seasons in a row. Um, too much pressure from that fan base and too much pressure from external forces. I mean, you you do have to consider that there is a group trying to bring an NASL team into downtown Chicago. Um, that could hurt the fire. I mean, you know, the NASL has quite a few issues right now, but if they have the right ownership in Chicago, as poor as the fire have been, they could hurt the fire from a business perspective. So this is not the the off season to sit back. This is the off season to make a move. And if you have the discovery rights on both Gordado and Schweinsteiger, I don't think you can come out of this off season with neither. I think you you're going to have to get one of them and you're going to have to spend. So I don't know which one it is. I mean, in, you know, for me as, as if I'm looking at it from an Atlanta United perspective, I would rather have Guardado here than Schweinsteiger. I'd also be more willing to pay the money that it's going to take to get Guardado because I think it would take more money. Um, my hunch is that Chicago would probably be the same because of the Mexican population there. So would Atlanta settle for Schweinsteiger's alternative? And then Minnesota is the wild card in this. You, you know, we don't really know how Minnesota is going to fall into this type of conversation yet. Are they going to be a fairly big spender? Or are they going to keep it close to the vest? Uh, we don't know yet. So I don't know where they fall. 
Yeah, and um, we'll, you know, we'll we'll find out eventually because all of this will have to be resolved before they can actually kick a ball. So we'll get an answer <sighs> at some point. Uh, checking on loan players. Hey, Kenwin Jones played this week, y'all, and um, yeah, we kind of saw the the Jekyll and the Hyde, so to speak. What did you think of uh, of Jones versus the U.S.? Um, I think I think it was a friend of the podcast, Eric Quintana, who uh, who pretty much pointed out what I thought about it, which was, I mean, you kind of saw you kind of saw the good and the bad. We saw the good against KC a couple weeks ago, and we saw some of the not so good last night. Not to say that it was a bad night for him, but he just uh, he found himself out of the play too much. Um, just he wasn't all he wasn't all over the field, you know. Though he, but you don't expect him to be a wing running all over the place or a you know center mid running all over the place. But there were plays where he'd find himself out of the play completely, and I thought that takes away from what he's good at. He'd make a hold up play, lay off a pass, and instead of following up with a run, he just kind of uh, jogged the far post or something, and then just it was out of it. You know, I mean, to make a sports comparison, it kind of reminds me of the the center, the power forward that you expect to do all the dirty work and then get out of the way. And, you know, you're not rewarding that dirty work. So I think to you know, get the most out of a, a Kenwin Jones, you have to you have to feed him and you have to feed him early. You have to keep him involved you can't leave him on an island. I don't think you get the most out of him if you just expect him to stand up there and fight with the center backs and play long balls to him all day. No, I think because you're right. They they play that 4-5-1, which I think kind of creates that. You well, know, it was very disconnected. And, you know, we, we've seen Trinidad, and we've seen Trinidad with Jones in the past, and they're typically not as disconnected. Molino, you know, makes a good combination with Jones running off of him. You didn't see that as much, and when you did... I think you saw what what you mentioned was, you know, Jones would be involved at the, you know, outset of that play, but then not receive anything afterwards. And after a while, you know, when you're taking a beating and and not getting any opportunity to be involved in the play, it you you kind of I don't want to say give up, but you get frustrated. And I think you could see that. I I want to see you know, Jones more involved in the build-up play as opposed to just being an old-school number nine standing up there fighting with whoever's at center back. I I, I think he can give you more, and I think you you want him to give you more because then he's he's more engaged. And I think we saw that by uh, in the uh, Kansas City game. Yeah, you saw it with Central where he was dropping yeah. in, he was getting the ball in midfield, he was turning and running at people. Well, the, the goal he scored. Exactly. He, he took the ball at midfield, held off of a guy. I think he threw somebody to the ground almost, uh, laid off the ball, then made his overlapping run. It was really pretty to watch. And that's I kind of lean with them. I kind of lean hoping Atlanta gives him someone to play off of. I'm not saying you can't run like a 4-2-3-1 with him up there, but don't isolate him where you're expecting him to be Josie Altador. It's it's how you play it. I mean, I mentioned it on the, the ATL soccer chat last night. I think sometimes we all get too hung up on, on the formation and the numbers of it, as opposed to how they play a four, two, three, one, you know, the center forward doesn't have to play as, you know, a, a number nine as a post up top. Of course you know, the forward can, can drop in and in the, the attacking central mid can overlap them and things can happen. All kinds of stuff can happen out of it. 
I want to see Jones be more involved in the overall play. I want him to have that that freedom to drop into midfield and win a ball and expect somebody else is going to make the run up top. You, you want to see that out of him because those are the things he can do. He's not a one-dimensional player, and you don't want to force him into that. Yeah, Some by the way, someone's going to ask absolutely to make him a false nine. That's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be funny as as these types of conversations come up in, in Atlanta soccer where he can, he, he can be messy. He can be messy. He can I play mean, that fault. He can play that false nine like against Real. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm done. Oh boy. I mean, it, it's going to happen, but you know, it's okay. It's okay. We're all going to learn together. It's all okay. okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, Chris McCann is playing for a team that's not very good, that doesn't have many people. And I think it was you who said the review has been mixed out there. Yeah, and I can't, I mean, yeah, I can't really compare it because we're not able to see any of Coventry's games, so I don't know. But I don't know if it's just general frustration with Coventry's situation and you have some fans who just think that everybody sucks and that's basically where they're at. Um, I've seen all over the place, you know, descriptions of how he's been playing, that he's he's bringing a touch of class to the midfield and he's bringing some bite and all that's good. And then... Some people say he was the worst player on the field before he got hurt, and I, I don't know. It's all over, so I can't really tell. Um, that's not completely abnormal for a, a defensive midfielder or a holding midfielder because they're definitely a lot harder to review. Um, I think it does take you know a, a bit of a level of experience of, of watching that position or even playing that position to understand what effectiveness is in that position. So... We'll see. Um, he took a knock in his last game. Uh, they're saying he's 50-50 to play this weekend. Uh, it sounded like a knee. I don't know if he either got hit in the knee or, or bumped knees with somebody. I'm not, not 100% sure, but it doesn't sound serious. So he, he's 50-50 to play. I think it's Saturday morning. All right. Uh, you want to give us a quick hit on uh, the other guys in the system? Yeah, the, the biggest one is, is Andrew Carlton. He made his USL debut for Charleston uh, this week. Uh, they played a um, mid-afternoon game in Montreal, which was kind of strange. And he played a little over 20 minutes. Uh, I thought he looked good, and I thought he looked better as the game went on. Um, where I'm at with Carlton, when he has the ball at his feet, he's a MLS-level player right now. Everything else is what he has to improve. Um, if he doesn't have the ball, he's not involved in the game. And he made one run off the ball that I was really impressed with. Uh, one of his first plays when he came on, he, he made a run into the box and pulled a defender with him and opened up space for, for another player. I want to see more of that consistently, and I want to see better work defensively. I think that's a, a big area he, he needs to work on. And you know, that's that's not to be unexpected. I mean, this is a player who has been the best player on pretty much every team he's ever been on. And now that's not going to be the case everywhere he goes. So yeah. he's he's going to be asked to do more and contribute more. And it's going to take some time to, to learn how and when and, you know, how to be the best player he can be. And that's that's the role that the Atlanta United Academy has is to get him ready for that. And. We'll see where we'll see how the academy season for him goes moving forward. Uh, it's a shame that Charleston hasn't been able to play him much, and I don't know the situation, so I'm not I'm not going to blame the management in Charleston. 
I know he was on the 18 for a game previously and did not see action. So he will be ineligible to play in the playoffs. Uh, you have to play five games. If you're a loaned player to a USL team, you have to play five games with that team to be eligible for the playoff roster. And this was his first appearance and I only have three more games left. So that's a shame. Um, Jeffrey O2 is kind of in the situation as well. He's made two appearances so far and they have three games left. So he has to appear in every game they have left to be eligible for the playoffs. Uh, the goalkeeper, Alex Tambakis is fine. Tambakis has played uh, off the top of my head, 16 games this year. And the number two or maybe one a uh, Cooper's played 10 so Tambakis is getting the majority of the games. We'll see where that goes in the playoffs. We'll see if he is the first choice. I would expect him to be. Um, I think he's gotten better and better as the season has went on. So that's a good thing for him going into a training camp with Atlanta United in January. Yeah. And um, I know we touched on this slightly. Uh, junior situation, Tampa Bay being as unfortunate as, as it is. Another situation that hasn't been ideal. Um, hopefully he'll turn it. Hopefully he'll get a shot somewhere else where he can keep playing. Because um, as you said before, and I agree, having watched him before, he's a guy who can contribute. Yeah, I I completely believe that he's a guy who can contribute. Um, I don't know what the roster situation is for NASL. Uh, they the season does run later, so you know, they're not in a roster freeze or anything like that coming up. Um, I don't know if he can move to another team. I'm not sure. Uh, Hunter Freeman just did from the Cosmos to Miami. So I'm assuming that if somebody wanted to come in and get him, they could. Uh, don't know. Don't know what's going on. But he, he needs to play, and hopefully he can either play in Tampa or play somewhere else. Well, meanwhile, um, kind of getting away from players for a second, uh, friend of the program, Lewis Martin, uh, tweeted at us tonight asking about the legs of travel for uh, for Atlanta United going forward. Again, the United States is a very large country. We will be literally traveling across the United States. It's it's this is this is not a this is not like a little hop, skip, and a jump. It's not like traveling through England. So um, he was asking about the four legs of travel and about the idea of charter flights and the uh, strategy, I guess, associated around it, Jason. Yeah, this really came to the forefront uh, after David Beckham came to the league. And, you know, nobody really, I don't think it was even really much of a point of discussion uh, before that. And then, you know, word started to get out that the league only allows four charter flights per season. And that could be more now. Um, it's a little murky as to what the actual regulation is. I think it's silly. I think the league's outgrown it. Um, I, I'm all for the parity deal. Uh, salary cap, I think, is a good thing. But situations like this where a team wants to spend and wants to put their guys on charter flights for some of these cross-country flights or a flight coming back from a CONCACAF game for a league game on the weekend, they if a team wants to spend that money, why are we stopping them from doing it? That doesn't really seem to make any sense. And... I don't want the league to stop a team from spending money because other owners don't want to spend that money. We have to grow past that point. The salary cap's different conversation altogether. And yeah, I guess you could make that same argument is just to let teams spend as much as they want. 
I actually like the concept of a salary cap. I think they you know, need to clean it up a bit. But you see the value of a salary cap in other leagues as well. And I think you know, you're going to see international leagues probably move closer to a salary cap system than MLS would move completely away from a salary cap system because you just, you see the benefits it brings. I mean, look at, you know, we're going to talk in a little while about the, the MLS playoff picture and how many teams still have a shot right now and how many teams have a conversation about having a shot for anything in Spain after January. Yeah, that's yeah. um, that's a good point to make. I mean, about the way it works, uh, and there's like a lot of directions you can go with salary caps and how much people are paid and how many uh, how many Rottenberg articles you want to bring into this about the economics of sport. Um, there are many discussions to be had about that. Oh yeah, um, I'm you know, if if they want to pay to fly their players in situations like that, let them. Is the way I see it. Um, especially again, because the United States is so damn unique because the flights, as you said, you know, if, whether they're, you know, they could be coming from Mexico, they could be coming from Trinidad, Tobago, like, uh, we saw sporting Kansas city do it. That's a long haul. Yeah. I mean, give them the charter flight. Like it it just, it just doesn't make any sense to me that the league would want to hold back treating its players. Well, in this case, um, and if the only reasoning is because some owners don't want to spend that money on their team, on their team, then that's on them. Yeah, you know, I, um, I think I just think the league is past that at this point. I I agree though that they should be given the choice. Like if if a team wants to spend the money, and we went over this last, and we went over this this week about about how much you know the individual teams are making, like Orlando turning a profit. If they want to dig into their own profit. That should be their decision. Exactly. Yeah, they should have that option. This is, you know, this they should not be kept from treating their players first class. Yeah, That's, and I don't, I don't mean that in a bad way. As in, you know, that should be their decision and uh, cutting into their own profit and making less money. No, it's like they should, they should be allowed to do, uh, they should be allowed to do what they want to do. Yeah, like, I, I, I completely agree. They're, the league should not be you know, mandating that, no, you can't buy a charter flight for your team and treat your players well and, and help them perform better. That's just silly. What are we going to do next? Like, no, you can't build a $60 million training facility because this other team doesn't want to spend that much money on their training facility. It's the same thing, but it's, yeah, yeah. it's ridiculous. Let them, let them do it. If Oregon can build a giant facility and Charleston Southern doesn't, I mean, it's kind of annoying, but yeah, that's a different argument for a different day. Um, moving on to uh, to our resident historian, Jason Longshore, at the other end of this podcast, wrote a piece that is on Dirty South Soccer. If you haven't checked it out, go check it out. Um, it's uh, Actually, I think it's the first thing on the site right now. So uh, go ahead. Go do that. I'll give you a second. All right, that's enough. Um, if nothing else, just bookmark it and come back to it in a minute. Um, after you're done listening to us, of course, we love you. Uh, Phil Woosnam and the history of Atlanta soccer and how it has impacted where we are today, Jason. Um, this is a lot of stuff. Like I got into the sport really late as a kid, as I got older into my teenage years. And I know you were just wrapped yourself up in it from a young age. And this has contributed to a lot of what you know and a lot of what, how you research things and your passion about it. 
this was a fascinating to read for me, and I think it'd be a fascinating read for a lot of people about the history and about what Woosnam brought to the community. Yeah, Woosnam was a, I mean, kind of a, a stroke of luck in, in his hire because, you know, he was the the first manager of the Atlanta Chiefs. He was hired in late 1966, actually 50 years ago today. And, you know, he was 33 years old. He uh, was coming off a career in the first division with West Ham and Aston Villa, um, known as a kind of a thinking man's player. Uh, He actually got his university degree, which was very rare in the first division at that time. And he just had a visionary type of mindset. So, you know, coming over here and he, you know, he didn't spend any time in Atlanta. He didn't know Atlanta. Um, he was coming into an absolute blank slate. And we've talked about it in some ways with Atlanta United having a blank slate and being able to build a soccer culture. Well, Phil Woosnam had a completely blank slate. Like you had no organized youth soccer in in, in September of 1966. You had somewhere between 8 and 20 high schools in the state of Georgia playing organized soccer. Soccer had only been sanctioned as a, a Georgia High School Association sport for a year at this point. Um, you had no organized adult leagues. You had nothing. You had the Atlanta Braves deciding to invest in a pro soccer team to fill dates at Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. You didn't even have the name Chiefs yet at this point 50 years ago. You just had a team that was coming. And Woosnam came in and had the right ideas. And if you look at the NA, well, this was in PSL. We can talk about how the leagues came together at another time. It's not really important to this conversation. But if, if you look at the original North American Soccer League, and I'm talking like the early, the late 60s, the 1968 version of the league that nearly died a year later, the Chiefs were one of the more successful teams, and pretty much all of that is due to Phil Woosnam. And I'm not just talking success on the field. They were that. They won the, the league in 1968. But they went out and did almost 400 clinics and served over 20,000 kids in their first year. And that was all because Woosnam understood that to to make the the game work here, he had to go out and educate, and he had to go out and develop, and he had to go out and get the game into the community. It, it came back to me. What kind of made it come full circle was the Decatur YMCA is is pretty much universally recognized as the first organized youth soccer league in the state of Georgia. Um, the Atlanta District Amateur Soccer League was the first organized adult league in the state of Georgia and or in modern times anyway. And, you know, those two organizations along with Georgia state university, it was Georgia state college at the time, the chiefs had a direct hand in starting those soccer programs at the youth level, at the college level and at the adult level. That was all because of Phil Woosnam. And all of those organizations are thriving today, let alone like out of those 20,000 kids and coaches who were, you know, exposed to Atlanta Chiefs clinics. I would be willing to bet that 98% of them had never played soccer before that clinic. 
and you planted those seeds and it starts to spread and it takes time. Sometimes it takes 50 years, but Atlanta soccer is in a place today that it would absolutely not be if the chiefs had hired a different person to be their first coach. Yeah. And it's, it's like I said, it's a fascinating to read. It's, it's long. It's not too long. So, I mean, if that's your issue, it's not like you're sitting down to read a Wright Thompson long form, which can be about the size of a small book. So it's not like that. Um, I'll also, save that for and, next time. Uh, if you can write an intro, like he, if you can write like a like that first paragraph, like you can. I mean, oh, I, I got work for you. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the fascinating thing when we get into it is you know the impact he had in Atlanta. Not just then, but after the Chiefs, um, the impact in the NASL and the structure of the leagues, as you said, it's a different conversation. But that growth in the city and that outreach is how, I mean, that's how I got involved. That's how I got to know you and a lot of the people in the city with soccer is that kind of outreach and how it is still impacting the city today. But it's a fascinating look back and like I said off air, and as you mentioned about a couple of guys at Terminus Legion, if we have a TIFO for this, I'm I'm down with that. Yeah, I, the thing about Woosnam is, you know, I think most people nationally think of him as the North American Soccer League commissioner from almost the whole league's existence. Um, and other things nationally, but his his impact in Atlanta, I I think it was very short. Because he was only, you know, really here for the first few years of soccer in Atlanta. And then once the NASL started to take off, he was in New York at the league offices. But the the Chiefs have had more of an impact in Atlanta soccer than you might think looking at the numbers. Um, they really, along with the Dallas Tornado in the, the beginning, the early, early days of the NASL, kept everything going um you know that's because of woos and that's because of the atlanta braves investing and being willing to invest at that time this is pre-ted turner braves this is bill bartholomew who brought the team from milwaukee braves um they were willing to invest and they were willing to lose money on on thinking soccer could happen and if you look at the the newspaper reports, you know, it's, it was amazing to me to do this research and go back to the Atlanta Constitution in 1966 and 67 and, and into 68, where you would think, you know, oh, you know, nobody's going to be, you know, open minded towards soccer. Nobody's going to be willing to, to give this a chance. There was a ton of coverage. There was a ton of open mindedness about it. It was it was really surprising to see because. When I got into soccer as a kid in the late 80s, everything was negative from the newspaper side of it. And the columnists, I mean, Furman Bisher and Jesse Outlaw said, and this, this is something I, I didn't use in, the, in, in this piece about Woosnam, but the quote stuck with me and I've actually you know, saved it and I'm, I'm going to use it somewhere. He said, and this was January 20th of 1967, where... The U.S. had not had a major professional league yet. Um, there was no exposure to soccer in the South, nothing in Atlanta. Jesse Outlars, you know, one of the legends of sports journalism, especially in, in this region, he said, pro soccer should prove popular in the United States, but there will be lean years before prosperity arrives. And he was absolutely correct. I mean, you know, 
we probably couldn't have guessed how many lean years we would have and and maybe there would be a couple sections of lean years but it, you know the optimism was there in Atlanta and it only really waned when the NASL went from you know around 20 teams in 1968 to 5 in 1969 the only reason it survived is Phil Woosnam um the league was was done and Woosnam basically kept it afloat he kept Lamar Hunt engaged in Dallas which was what you had to do because he was the biggest name left and they ran a five team league in 1969 and the league offices were in the in the offices next to the visitors locker room in the Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. Um, that was Phil Wisdom at 34, 35 years old, keeping that thing going. And it grew and grew and the Cosmos came in in 71 and then the Cosmos, you know, got ready to invest and the league steadily grew up to that point when Pelé came and everything went to another level. And you can say, you know, Oh, well, mistakes were made. They grew too, too far, you know, too big, too fast. And they did. Um, that's not to say it wasn't hugely successful while it was. And I stand by also what I said off air, that if when we play Dallas, if there is a Lamar Hunt, Woosnam joint TIFO, I am completely on board with that. And that would be very fun. It's, it's, it's such a fascinating thing to me though, that you have this guy who does come over, finds himself in Atlanta of all towns. I mean, Atlanta in the 60s isn't Atlanta today. That's something that has, I think that has to be mentioned here. Yeah. that's This isn't like, oh, it's Atlanta. No, this is not the same Atlanta. This is Atlanta in the 60s in 1967. It's a different town. You've just gotten your first major sport franchises kind of not even off the ground. They're still in the hangar, so to speak, if we're going to burn the metaphor. You had one year of the Braves. I mean, even before the Braves had finished their first year, they had committed to joining the soccer league. Yeah. And um, I think it should be noted because 1967 was the year that all this happened that we will officially not recognize the 1966 World Cup and the team that may or may not have won the 1966 World Cup. So, <laughs> you know, and uh, that's something I've I've learned through all this, you know, the the going story for years and this is what I had always read in Atlanta or not even Atlanta, American soccer history was that Oh, they showed the 1966 World Cup final on TV and everybody decided to start a professional league. That is 100% false. And there, if you go back and do the research, it's on record that there were groups trying to start a league before the World Cup started in 1966. Um, there were reports in the Atlanta Constitution about the Braves starting a team a professional soccer team in May of 1966. It didn't become official until later, but the, the things were already there. Things were in motion. There were lots of other things that brought about professional soccer in the U S did the, the television viewing of the 66 world cup final and the success that it had. And it, I mean, it was an exciting game. Did it help? Yeah. Did it bring some more people to the table? Probably. Did it cause professional soccer to happen in the United States? No, it, it didn't at all. I mean, there have been a lot of things that have helped. The 99 Women's World Cup helped. Um, the goal of from Landon Donovan, who we'll talk about in a moment, helped against Algeria. Like, 
there have been a lot of things in the in the World Cup in the United States. It helped. Like a lot of things have helped. But like you said earlier, um, there will be prosperity, but there will be lean years, and I think we've had those. There are still going to be, I think, times where things get tough. Maybe not as lean anymore, but where there's challenge, there's going to be push. There's going to be pushback. Maybe not physical pushback from uh, from people who push against the league, but you know, there's growing pains. So definitely, definitely, and, and just like how. I said the other day that starting a, fran- a sport franchise isn't a short-term investment. It is a long-term investment where you're looking to, as you said, break even. Um, running a league like this and building a league and building a sport in a country is a long-term project. And right now we're 50 years in almost to from when you know, you're starting to see the actual payoff in the mid-60s where you started seeing the leagues become tangible. We're 50 years on. And there's still growing pains, and we're just now hitting that point where, you know, the league is getting more publicity, where it's a prime time kind of event. Yeah, Atlanta has been, you know, there's been kind of a knock on on soccer in Atlanta, like, oh, you know, you don't have the history that Seattle and Portland and Vancouver have. You know, you don't have that brand, and and you don't, you don't have the singular Seattle Sounders type of brand. You don't have the Portland Timbers brand. The Chiefs played a few seasons uh they played from 67 to 72 then the braves pulled the plug at that point and the actually the hawks ownership ran the atlanta apollos in 73 then you had a second version of the chiefs from 79 to 81 so you're talking a handful of seasons you're not talking the longevity that that some of the other nasl franchises had but that's also not really taking into account everything, especially that Woosdom did at the very, very beginning, has consistently grown. And has it been, you know, super fast? You you didn't have the the Pele moment like the Cosmos had. You know, you you haven't had those things happen that have kicked it to another level. It's been a steady growth. And you had the Chiefs, then you had the year of the Apollos. You had some downtime in the mid seventies. Um, the Chiefs came back. You had the Georgia Generals in nineteen eighty two. Then you had some different things happen in the eighties. You had the data graphic amateur teams that were among the best in the country. Um, you had the Atlanta Attack Pro Indoor team in the the eighty nine to ninety one time frame. You had some USISL teams around that time too. You had the Atlanta Magic, who was a strong semi-pro indoor team. Uh, went undefeated for like two or three years. You had youth soccer growing along the way. And you had that first generation of kids in 1967 who were introduced to soccer. Then their kids played soccer. Then their kids played soccer. And it just kept growing, kept growing, kept getting steady. You had the Atlanta Ruckus, who I've written about on Dirty South quite a bit. Um, Then you had the Silverbacks. And you've had this steady, solid growth. And now, 50 years on, it's time. And it wouldn't be... You wouldn't have 22,000 season ticket holders if you hadn't had these things happen along the way. And it's not the direct line like you had with the Sounders or the Timbers. But Atlanta does have a soccer history, and it does have a heritage, and you're seeing it now pay off. And that's why people around the country don't really know these things and don't really, you know, credit it. 
But that's why they're going to be shocked when you see games in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium that are packed and passionate and loud, and you have that support for Atlanta United that nobody around the country expects. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to that. And I have no doubt in my mind that we're getting to that point that when it, I think I think you're right. Basically, is uh, what it boils down to is I think you're right that people will be surprised about how lit Atlanta gets for these games coming up. So, uh, speaking of lit, um, and if we have to do an entire show about this on Sunday, we can. But hey, Landon Donovan's back. <laughs> He, he he sent he sent the facts in. Man, Twitter was lit today. Oh, I picked terrible days not to tweet. Yeah, it was kind of cool to uh, break that news to you, and you're like, "What?" Huh? Uh, for, for the uh, to fill everyone in, we on the day of the podcast, uh, generally it's Jason who does it, but an email is sent out about where we start discussing what we want to talk about for the night of the podcast, and we just bounce ideas back and forth. A lot of times, it's basically all there. And then we kind of figure it out as we go along and then put together a final piece. A lot of it's Jason keeping up with what he's writing and whatnot and being really good at what he does. So my email today is, and I quote, all Landon Donovan. <laughs> Underneath that, in parentheses, is, seriously, this is crazy. So I hadn't <laughs> been on Twitter had, all day. Yeah, you had no idea. <laughs> I had not been on Twitter all day, and my mind went through two thoughts. Either A, Lennon Donovan got involved with the spat between uh, Winalda and, uh, God, who was he got in a fight with? Bedoya. Bedoya, thank you. Uh, he got into it with Bedoya and Winalda, thinking, oh, that'd be great. Or that he had just decided to get really salty with Jurgen Klinsmann for no reason and the U.S. men's national team. And then to see, oh, uh, he, 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 um, he sent the facts in, and he's going to... Well, he's not putting on 45, but, you know. Oh, he should have. If it, and, and by the way, props to the Galaxy, because that was a really nice little video they put together. That was a cool look. Yeah, I give them a ton of credit there. Um, if he had put on a 45, though, it, Twitter might have broken. It, that would have been incredible. The, the Galaxy social media sometimes, for me, and just their marketing is a little too, like, we're cooler than you and a little too snarky for my taste. That, that's just my taste. So, you know, don't come at me too much. But I thought they nailed it with that video. That was that was really well done. Um, I, I get and I get 26. You know, I know that the symbolism behind it. That was the day of the month that his son was born. So totally get it. That's cute. But, we don't want cute. We want. We want relevant for history. Well, I mean, the first thing I thought of when the word came out that he was coming back was was Michael Jordan and the 45. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought of. I was like, okay, he's got to send a fax in to everybody that just says, I'm back, and then break out the number 45, and, and let's do it. So, I mean, I, and I told you, like, the, it also reminds me kind of of, uh, of it's got that Andre Agassi kind of feel to it, where you just Kind of comes back out, decides to do his thing. Um, and what do, you, what do you think he can do for the galaxy? I mean, you've seen the galaxy a fair bit uh, this season. You know, what do you think he can bring to them at this point? I think he steps in as I. I, I think he'd be a. I think he'd be a hell of a super sub, man. At this point, like, because I don't know what he's going to be like physically getting on the field. Um, 
I don't know if you've read, you can go, it, he posted onto uh, his Facebook page this whole long reason of how it all happened, uh, when it all came from, um, kind of the thought process that went into this, and how we got to this point. Um, it's hard to ask a guy in his position, what it, playing his position, uh, <laughs> it's got to be hard to ask him, to, hey, I need you to go out there and play 70 to 90 minutes for me. Um fresh off of an 18-month retirement. Good luck. Have fun. But considering what they've lost, I mean, I think he could definitely slot in and be a playmaker. He may, you're not, I don't think you're asking him to go out there and score you know, a goal a game kind of thing, but either someone to come off the bench later in the game. Maybe you start him so you don't have to sub a sub if that's what you're afraid of. Like, I don't know, the U.S. women's national team was doing with Megan Rapinoe during the World Cup. Oof. I'm not over that. I am not even close to over that. Um, but I think he could be a kind of guy who you work him back in. They're in position that they're unless something really bad happens, they're gonna go to the playoffs. He could make for a, he could cause all sorts of hell in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, you look at it. I don't think he's a starter on this team. I, I think that's just completely unfair to, to no. think of him as a as a regular ninety minute player at this point. Um. You know, with a whole season to get ready or a whole off season to get ready, maybe you could look at that because he's he's not that old. But right now, no, it's just not fair. The thing that you have to keep in mind with with a guy like this, though, and this is something Brian Dunseth talked about on Counter Attack. If if you have Sirius XM and you're not listening to Counter Attack, you're crazy. And if you have it and you haven't listened to today's episode where they talk a lot about Landon Donovan, obviously check it out. Dunseth talked about how, you know, his experience with, with Landon and, and players like that is that the touch, the, the technique. Yeah. It, it might be a little rusty, but it's not gone. That doesn't leave you, you know, Donovan gets together with with other guys in the Los Angeles area and plays games, and he still got the talent. Um, oh, I don't think there's any question about that. He's, does he have, he's, is he sharp? No. Does he have the legs? No. Can he step out and could he come back and play ninety minutes in a game Sunday? Yeah, he probably could. And would he have some moments where he, he looked like he hasn't played in eighteen months? Yeah, for sure. The problem would be, okay, he plays Sunday, 90 minutes. The next game, the training sessions in between, that's where he's going to feel that 18 months. So you don't want to put him in a situation where you burn him early. You want to give him spots where you need an attacking sub off the bench, you use him. Because can you imagine late in game, and when I say attacking sub, not always you're behind and you're chasing the game. Can you imagine late in a game when you're trying to close the Galaxy out or say the Galaxy have a lead and they're trying to close the game out and they bring on Landon Donovan and they're running counterattacks with Giovanni Dos Santos and Landon Donovan? You're going to be terrified. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have to be up. sharp. No, he doesn't, you're, he, he doesn't have to be sharp at all. The threat of Landon Donovan is going to scare you and it's going to open things up for other players. No, I don't disagree, and um, and that's kind of where I'm kind of torn, and I'm fighting with myself about. Oh, he'd be a really good super sub. I don't want to have to burn a sub if this goes. If in the playoffs and we go into the 115th minute, and I have to pull Landon Donovan, I don't want to have to sub a sub. But 
if yeah, these last few games, if let's say they're up two to one and they want to protect the lead, and they also and they decide, hey, we're gonna put him in. So go ahead, pour everyone forward and watch what happens when you turn the ball over. He's a he's a gamer. I mean, I, the people who are negative about this and want to pull out past criticisms of Donovan saying he's soft and all this type of stuff. I don't get it at all. I, I really don't. Um, you can, you can say what you want about Donovan choosing to come back to MLS rather than, than stick it out at, at Leverkusen back in the day. And then you can go to the Bayern Munich time and you can even bring the Everton time into it, whatever. There is not, a singular blueprint for how to be the best soccer player you can be. There is not some players flourish by going overseas. Some players play their best soccer being at home and being surrounded by family. Landon has talked about issues he's had with mental health and that has to be taken into consideration here. You saw him play his best soccer in MLS you saw when he went to Everton on loan in MLS off seasons, he could play with the best in the, in the Premier League. He fit in. So to, to call him soft, I think, is, is BS. He is the best player the U.S. has ever had. And I think it's, it's a great story. It's a very unique story. The Galaxy are in desperate need of some help. They've got a ton of injuries right now. Um, it's a really cool story. And... I hope it, it turns out well. I'm not saying I hope they win the, the championship, but I hope it turns out well for him. He deserves that. And I hated that, you know, I think he was so hurt and just emotionally kind of damaged by the way Klinsman treated him and left him off of that World Cup roster and the way he did it. Um, that That's why he left. And that's why he decided he had had enough. And... I hope he can, you know, find that happiness in this last run. Is is 2016 his last run? Is he going to come back another year if he enjoys it? You never know. But, you know, he mentioned being able to have his son on the field with him after games. And, you know, that's definitely, you have to think that's had an impact on him. And that's changed him. And now he'll get to experience that side of it that he never did before. So... I hope it goes well. I think it's an exciting thing. Um, I think it's great for the league. So I'm I'm excited to see it. And I'll you know I, I was already going to watch Sunday, but I'm even you know more looking forward to this game on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it should be noted that uh, is he 32? I think. Yeah. He's not that old, and he doesn't have that many games on his legs. His legs should still have plenty of mileage in them. At this point, it's a matter of if he wants to keep playing. Um. But real quickly, Jason, do you think this is just this year in the playoffs, or do you think there's a chance for 2017? I think there's a chance. I think it's a wait and see. Um, on counterattack, they had Chris Klein jump on uh, the president of the Galaxy really briefly at the end of the show, and that was that was one of the questions for him. And he said they were all very clear in in let's just see what happens over the rest of the season. And that's all we're looking at. They didn't say that, no, it will ne- it's not possible for him to come back in 2017. Anything's possible. So if, 
If He'll he come comes back with back, LAFC down the road. Oh, don't even go there. That's wrong. <laughs> hey, that's, hey, everyone has their heel turn. That's you, so even, wrong. Even even Hulk Hogan put on the red and black of the NWO Wolfpack at one point. Wow. Man, that's harsh. I mean, I'm sure the, the San Jose Earthquake fans are, are loving that right about now, but, you know. I'm just here to help. That's all I'm here for. Jeez. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's – I'm excited. Um, if there's ever going to be a time, by the way, for the whoever's whoever's tech directing that game, if there's ever a time to just tell the talent to shut up and let the crowd do the talking, if he comes into the game Sunday, that's going to be the time to do it. Could you imagine that crowd? Like, I don't care. Like, I I don't care if it it was in L.A. or I don't care if it was in you know Anchorage, Alaska. The crowd's going to tell you the story if Donovan suits up and plays on. Sunday, and especially if he goes out there and you know knocks in, and knocks in one or two, oh my god, you're not going to be able to tell anybody anything. Yeah, it's it's going to be a fun fun game to watch. Uh, Fox has got the game Sunday night, and it is at the StubHub Center, so it's going to be a fun one to watch. I'm 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 pumped about it. Yeah, so am I. Uh, speaking of MLS, Jason, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, looking ahead. I mean, the playoffs are right around the corner. Yeah, I, I kind of wanted to just run through the I'm all for that. schedule uh, this weekend. You know, we, we've been looking at the, the national games on Sunday. Let's just run through the schedule real quick so everybody kind of has a, a sense of, of where things stand. Most teams have six to eight games left. Uh, that's that's kind of where we're at. We saw the playoff schedule come out this week, and those knockout games are right before the end of October. So we're down to the nitty-gritty. Um, things kick off tomorrow night with Kansas City hosting Houston. The, the big story with Kansas City right now is Benny Failhaber has not signed a contract to come back to Kansas City yet. It's because he's coming to Atlanta, clearly. Well, now the rumors are that he is negotiating with um, an international club, and the guess is that it is uh, – I don't know if the club was actually named. There was an Israeli club who Kansas City turned down a $500,000 offer during the transfer window. Um, well, now Phil Harbour is in the last six months of his contract, so he can negotiate a pre-contract with any club he chooses not another MLS club because that's an internal thing. And that's where the single entity comes back to bite Atlanta United if they wanted to sign him and all that stuff. But, you know, like, I mean, you were half joking, I think about Atlanta United trying to go after Phil Haber. Yeah. If you're not, you're not having that conversation. Oh. I think you're crazy. Oh yeah. No, I mean, I'm half joking, but at the same time, yeah, if you can go get him. Um, did you have a, did you know what club it was? He was talking to in Israel. I, was, I, I assume like Tel Aviv or something. I believe so, but I can't confirm that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, also, a nice reminder that last night, Orlando City just gave up a goal in the first minute to Montreal and then decided to spend 89 minutes torturing their souls. Oh, that so. was crazy. That was nuts. I did not expect that at all. No. Um, oh, the other thing in that Kansas City-Houston game is yes. Houston just loaned Cuba Torres to Cruz Azul. Torres has been one of the big disappointments in MLS in recent years. Uh, Houston just has not chosen to use him, has not used him effectively. He hasn't done well. I don't know the whole. Uh, uh, 
he's another guy I think you could look at as kind of that reclamation project. Um, have to look at it closer to see if he could be a player that could play, you know, alongside a Kenwin Jones, um, possibly, but I don't know if, if Torres is going to come back after his, his run in Liga MX. I think, if he does well at Cruz Azul, they do have an option to buy. I think they would they could be tempted to exercise that and he might he might stay there and we might not get him back. But if you didn't see Cubo Torres when he came into the league with Chivas USA, go back and check those highlights. The guy can play. He's had a, a kind of a rough patch here in recent years, but he's a player and he's a player that should be doing more in this league than he has. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, as we move to the Saturday schedule um columbus vancouver vancouver is just nose diving um they've lost five of their last six which you can't do at this time of year they're just getting out of seattle's way yeah i don't even know i mean it's beyond that i i think carl robinson and and that coaching staff have to be you know concerned about keeping their jobs after this and it's shocking if you saw Vancouver last year where I think if they had had some better luck with injuries down the stretch, they could have been a title contender. And it's just the wheels have fallen off here at the end. Uh, Columbus is trying to make something happen. They've won two of their last four. Um, they're eight points back in the East. I I, I don't see it happening, but, it, but things are looking pretty better for Greg Burhalter who you know I don't I wouldn't say he's on the hot seat after an MLS Cup you know final appearance last year but to go from the cup final to missing the playoffs by a significant margin it does make you wonder yeah that's um and I mean I think, you, I think you it takes a more... situation so yeah you have to I, was, I, I was about to ask uh I was about to to politic and say the Kai Kamara situation I think is uh is uh is a it, it's it's a bookmark here that should be looked at. Yeah. Um, Phil uh, Montreal coming off of a thrashing gets to play Philadelphia. Montreal's been Jekyll and Hyde lately. Uh, yeah, they could come out and thrash Philadelphia. We don't know. <laughs> they could, and I I just can't figure them out. I think they should be much better than fifth in the East if you look at that roster and you look at how they play when they play their best. But when they're bad, they're really bad. There is just no in-between with them. No, I think that's completely fair. You compare, you look at, you know, the Galaxy has struggled. But the Galaxy, when they're struggling in games, they're still getting a point. They're still getting draws. They've got 14 draws this year, which is a ton. But Montreal, when they struggle, they just look bad. And the it falls apart. Like they get this gift goal in the second minute last night against Orlando and then give up four unanswered. Including having your keeper sent off. That that's that was That's always a bonus. Um, and Philly I mean Philly's looking a lot better. Philly's, you know, won three of their last five. They've won two of their last three. Um you know, Bedoya has been a good signing for them. He's you know, I, I'm not a big fan of his Twitter game these days, but uh, on the field, he's really helped that club. And the guy that he's kind of unlocked is Roland Alberg, who's a player probably a lot of people don't know. He's very underrated, and he's been scoring a lot of big goals for the Union. So Philly's a team that, 
you know, I really wouldn't want to see in the playoffs. I think they're dangerous. Absolutely. No, that's where I was hoping you would go with that if you didn't outdo it. But that's that's like that's that team who they're probably not going to get a first round bye. And if they survive their first, you know, that first game, that first little wild card game, and you get them on a home and home, and in a, in a, I don't want to deal with that. Hey, they could get into the top two. They're only three points out. I mean, that's that's possible. I mean, I just don't know it'll happen, but I mean, it's possible. Um, let's see what's next on the shittle. Uh, so, oh, yeah. New, New England and New York City. New England and New York City. Uh, New York City's won two of their last three. They're a point clear at the top of the East. New England has lost four of their last six, which is a awful time to do that. Yeah, because now they're four points out of a playoff spot. Yeah, yeah. Four points out. Um, leaking and the goals. Team, and the teams above them, by the way, the three teams above them all have a game in hand. Yeah, and the thing about the New England, I mean, compare these two. You know, New England and New York City have both given up 47 goals this year, and New York City's had a couple bad losses that have contributed to that. But <laughs> seven nothing. You know, that's seven never nothing. Not, that's never not going to be funny. It's not. I mean, seven nothing. But <laughs> they've both given up 47 goals. New York City has scored 48. They actually have a plus one goal differential now, which they had a, a negative goal differential in first place for quite a while, which is hilarious. New England's only scored 31 goals this year. That's the lowest in the East. Um, and they got Kai Kamara, <laughs> um, who hasn't done much. So uh, well, You kept him away. From, I mean, it, you kind of did a, kind of an addition by subtraction. You took him away from Columbus, who, admittedly, maybe he doesn't save Columbus, but you, 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 pulled, the, uh, you pulled the rug out of another team in the division. So that's nice. Kind of, but but here's my question about New England is yes. you started the season with Charlie Davies, Juan Agadello, Teal Bunbury, Diego Fagundes, Lee Wynn, five great attacking players. You add Kai Kamara to that. Now you've traded Charlie Davies, but you were going to trade a forward once you got another one because you it, didn't have it, enough spots for forwards anyway. It looks like Borussia Dortmund's midfield. And how do you only have 31 goals out of that? I, uh, inefficiency, <laughs> market inefficiency. I, I think there have to be some questions asked of Jay Heaps. Um, you know, New England has been one of those teams that they were in the cup final in 2014. Uh, I think that year is looking more and more like a fluke. And I don't think Heaps gets the most out of the roster he has. I think they have, ha- they've had attacking talent to spare in new England. Kellen Rowe is a player who's, I think a great player in this league who, you know, for whatever reason has been in and out of the lineup. I just don't get what is happening with the revolution and questions have to be asked. I, I don't understand why they're, they're not scoring goals and I don't understand why they can't figure out a way to change that. Well, if they keep collapsing like this and the goals don't come by the end of the season, They'll ask the question, and they'll they'll have to address it. They have to. Well, I mean, and that's the thing is the the Revolution have been one of those clubs. You know, we, we talked about clubs wanting to spend money. The Revolution have been one of those clubs that you know historically has not spent much money. And would they make a move here? I don't know. I'm not convinced that they would. I think Vancouver would. I think Vancouver is more ambitious and is, is chasing that title. And I think they have to, when you look at, 
Seattle down the road and you look at Portland with an MLS cup. Now I think Vancouver has to be, you know, putting that pressure on their coaching staff and they might make a change because of that. New England is that same pressure there. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, if they want to compete going down the line, all we've gone over this before. It's not just about you getting better. It's about everyone around you getting better. And other teams are getting better. So they're going to have to step up. They can look at themselves like, oh, we're not a bad team. Yeah, you're not a bad team. Everyone else is a great team right now. Oh, so, look at the East. I mean, yeah, look that's at what I mean. and where it's going. New York City FC is always going to spend and always going to expect to win a title. Red Bulls have been much better with Jesse Marsh. They're ambitious. Toronto, hello. I mean, how, look at what they're spending. Montreal, look at what they're spending. Philadelphia is now spending, bringing Bedoya in. Orlando, yeah. Atlanta coming in. I mean, New England's going to have to step it up. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, speaking of stepping it up, um, well, they're not going to step it up, but the Chicago Fire hey, and Toronto FC. Chicago is not um, an absolute raging dumpster fire anymore. They're not. They're actually sharing. I was going to say they're not in last place anymore. No, they're sharing last place. But yeah, I mean um, they've they've looked better in recent weeks. You know they've won two of their last four. They've only lost twice in their last six. Um, they're yeah they're looking better. I, I wouldn't say good, but better. Um, Toronto is in a bit of flux with Giovinco out and having to adjust to that, but. You know, they've, they've still won four of their last six. They're in the mix in the East. They're a point behind with a game in hand on New York City FC at the top. Uh, they they should be able to go to Chicago and get a win. But Chicago's been more dangerous recently. And anytime you have David Akam with his speed, you have to be aware of it. And you have to you know find a way to not allow him to get in open space. Let's see that we have as well. Uh, FC Dallas sitting up there still trying to go for the treble. Going to Colorado. If Dallas gets the win here against Colorado, I think they've sewn up the supporter shield. Yeah, I'm just looking at it right now thinking the same thing. Like That's that's potentially a 10-point cushion with a handful of games left. Yeah, I mean, you know, the... The Donovan return for the Galaxy does, you know, make you keep an eye on them. But I think Dallas is in really good shape. Uh, you know, I thought they might add a piece here somewhere uh, after Castillo was uh, sold to Turkey. But, you know, they won their last two. They're finding ways to win. They they always find a way, and that's kind of the the motto at FC Dallas under Oscar Pereja. They just made another homegrown signing today. Uh, they just keep finding more talent, keep finding ways to compete. So Colorado's been in a little bit of a funk. They've lost their last two. They haven't won in their last four. Uh, they don't score many goals. They don't give up many goals. They've had one of the better defenses in the league. And, you know, it's safe to say that it's only gotten better with Tim Howard, but only 28 goals this season. Um, that's the second lowest in the whole league. And they're on 43 points. That's been because of that defense. I don't think their defense can keep Dallas off the board, though. 
No, and I don't think they're. De- I don't. I don't think their defense can keep them alive in the playoffs. No, I think the. I think they're hitting a wall. Yeah. Um, by the way, FC. Someone mentioned FC Dallas would have been a hell of a landing spot for Donovan to fill that void. Oh yeah, on paper, <laughs> you yeah. slot him into the the Castillo role. Yeah, for sure. Um, if if Donovan was ever going to come back, it was always a Galaxy though. I mean, he's. Oh yeah. You know, he's definitely in that club's DNA, and I don't know what the his relationship or where it fits with LAFC or where any of that happens. You know, there, there's been talk about that, but he is the LA Galaxy. Uh, he's definitely going to be a symbol of that club forever, and I know that really kills the San Jose fans. Uh, uh, Portland Timbers, Real Salt Lake. So, Portland... Um, has been all over the place <laughs> lately. You know, it's they're either, you know, win or loss. They they're not looking for draws anymore. It's you never know what you're going to get in Portland. So, definitely a team they have a minus watch. 2 goal differential. That's my best my favorite part. Yeah, I mean 42-4, 44 against. They've they haven't had a draw in their last 6. Um it's, it's interesting. Salt Lake, if you didn't see the Salt Lake Galaxy game, that was a lot of... Uh, uh, Euro Mosisian for, for Salt Lake has been really good lately. And Joao Plata is one of my favorite players in the league. He's he's a little guy, but man, he's so good. He's so dangerous. Um, and another one of my favorites in the league is Burrito Martinez. So... Salt Lake's a fun team to watch, and they used to not be. It, I think it took Jeff Kassar a little while to figure out, you know, what what he could do and what he could, you know, let his team do, um, and how he could rely on the defense he has. And you know, they've they've had some issues at center back, but they're scoring goals. They they've scored forty two this year, as many as Portland, and they've given up a few less. Uh, Salt Lake hasn't lost in their last three. I. It's going to be in Portland, which is is always tough. Um, and Portland really needs this game. I'm I'm thinking it has draw written all over it because of that. Um, but Portland doesn't seem to draw, so there's no telling. No. Um. Let's see. Uh, next, uh, San Jose and Seattle. Um. This is this is a crazy one. I think if there is a loss in this game, I think that team's out. Um, they both, you know, San Jose is three points behind Portland, but they have two games in hand. Seattle's four points behind, behind Portland and has, uh, two games in hand. So maybe that's a little harsh. Maybe a loss doesn't eliminate a team here, but I think whoever gets the win could kind of go into that driver's seat, especially if Portland loses to Salt Lake. Oh yeah. It becomes, uh, if, if San Jose wins, they become tied with Portland. And they have two games in hand. Both of these teams have two games in hand over Portland, by the way. Yeah, those those two games, uh, and I believe they're simultaneous on on Saturday, same time, same kickoff. Yeah, they are. Both of them are competing against uh, Pac-12 After Dark college football. Uh, so. I think I'll be watching the the wacky Western Conference games that night. So, oh, I will be as well. I'll keep an eye on Pac-12 After Dark, but I'll be watching. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think you always have to keep an eye on Pac-12 After Dark because you never oh, yeah. know what can happen there. But Portland... Mm-hmm. RSL and San Jose, Seattle, I think, you know, going on at the same time, those are going to be a, a good watch and a good kind of glimpse at what 
you know, late season MLS atmosphere can be as teams are chasing playoff spots. I think those are going to be some fun ones. Uh, moving to the Sunday games, uh, competing against the M- NFL starting up because let's just pretend that didn't just happen with Cam Newton's head being crushed against the f- somebody else's head. Uh, uh, New York and uh, DC United. I'm sorry, Red Bulls and DC United. Yeah, so Red Bulls are are one point out at the top of the East. They're they're in second right now over Toronto. Uh, uh, I'm not sure where the tiebreaker is, but Toronto still has a game in hand, so. There, let's just say they're even. Um, New York has won, by the way. Yes, there you go. Uh, New York hasn't lost in their last six. Um, Scoring goals, good defense. DC is is another one of these teams that's kind of been all over the place here of late. Uh, Defense has been pretty decent all year, uh, but they're not scoring as many goals. However, they are a different team now that they have Patrick Mullins. That was a great move where they picked up Mullins from New York City FC. Uh, Mullins is a prime example of, of of a player that you have to get him in the right situation to get the most out of him, and you have to give him time. He was in New England, showed flashes. He was at NYCFC, showed flashes. Now that he is the guy in D.C., he is making players around him better very good center forward and i think you have to give you have to look at dc a little differently now that he's there this game being at red bull arena though in a one o'clock kickoff uh i think that red bull press is probably going to be too much for dc to handle yeah i agree um and dc again like dc is two points out of the playoffs right now they could get into the playoffs and be like that team who, in a couple of weeks ago, how did we lose to D.C. in a first-round playoff matchup? But I don't think they get there. Uh, you look at it right now. I mean, say say they do get in that sixth spot and they play Toronto in the first round. Could they win them in Toronto? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, they could. They could. <laughs> it, could it could make people's lives very oh. miserable in Toronto. So, I mean, I, they could be. I I just don't think they do it. I don't, I don't think, they I think Orlando I think but, has got the momentum. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then finally, last game in the uh, in the adventure here, Galaxy in Orlando City. Speaking of Orlando, this is a tough one for Orlando going across. You know, you're coming off the the, the huge win in Montreal midweek. Um, both teams are coming off midweek games, so that that kind of levels the playing field here. LA just keeps grinding it out. They're going to have a ton of emotion uh, with Donovan making his return. You have to expect he'll be in the 18. You, you have to expect you'll see him. Um, can you know Orlando keep the momentum going? They've won their last two, uh, and the huge win in Montreal. I just I did not expect that at all, and I definitely didn't expect it after them going down by a goal. I didn't. I, I mean, if you'd have told me like, oh, they went down a goal and they came back and won like two to one, I think I'd believe that. I wouldn't have believed that they went up three one, got the keeper sent off, and then just bombarded the living hell out of Montreal. That was. It was really yeah. impressive. Yeah, Orlando's dangerous. Um, I think Kreis is, is starting to have his effect now. You know, you you won't see fully what Kreis can do with that team until he can can overhaul the roster a bit. But he's having his effect on what they have, and he's getting more out of them than than Adrian Heath was earlier this season. L.A. LA's just had a crazy season when it comes down to these injuries. You know, Jossie's art is gone. 
Uh, you've had Steven Gerrard miss a lot of time. You've had uh, Van Damme miss time. Now you don't have Nigel DeJong. Um, Robbie Keane's had injuries all season. It's just been hard to get a rhythm. And, you know, you're only now starting to see some of, of why they brought Giovanni Dos Santos in. And I think depending on how much Donovan plays, he might be able to help bring even more out of Dos Santos. So I, the Galaxy are, you know, this is that move. You you bring Donovan back, and, you know, we've talked about that that threat of, of Landon Donovan running at you. You know, the Galaxy are that team you don't want to see in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. And, if again, of course, if it comes down to it, and we have to do a show on Sunday about all After this. After Landon Donovan we will. has a hat trick, we're going live. Is that what you're, what you're saying? Uh, that's what I'm saying. He's going to have the hat trick, and um, he's going to run over to the sideline. He's going to pull out a U.S. <sighs> national team kit. And some sunglasses, too. There has that's, to be sunglasses be... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but depending on how all this goes, either way, we'll keep, we'll keep you up to date on it. That pretty much wraps it up for us here at the Peachtree Post, Jason, unless you no, have anything else no, this evening. No, anything no, breaking no, because no we breaking, got the breaking news, news again. I'm, I'm very disappointed. Um, it is going to be a, yeah, it's gonna be a fun weekend in MLS. And, and yeah, there's a ton of stuff going on You know, now that we're into the second week of college football and we have the opening weekend of the NFL. But Saturday night, especially late night, those two Western Conference games, I highly recommend pulling those up on MLS Live. I even more highly recommend the LA Orlando game Sunday night on Fox on FS one. You're going to get to see kind of the things that Atlanta has to look forward to. And some of the storylines that Atlanta has to look forward to uh, next year. These, you know, this time of year in MLS is, is so much fun to watch for me. Um, I've loved MLS playoff soccer since the beginning. I mean, I remember the, the first playoff series in MLS that was DC and, and the Metro stars where the first game in giant stadium went to a shootout and there were all kinds of accusations about the Metro stars cheating in the shootout, uh, changing the order, all kinds of stuff, playoff soccer, the drama involved in it. You won't find it many other places. You know, people talk about, pro rel and people talk about you the relegation battles and the final day of the premiership season all that it's great playoff soccer is different and it's a lot of fun to watch it's super intense it's kind of like when we say playoff hockey is different playoff soccer is different as well. very similar and this is there's there's not that there's not that sudden death feel to it but it's it does, it has and its, it has this is kind of the lead-up to it. So those two games out West for sure are, are must-see TV, and L.A. Orlando for the return of Landon Donovan, FS1. Watch it. We'll talk about it next week. Always. For Jason Longshore, I am Jarrett Smith. You can find us on Twitter. Again, Longshore can be found at Longshoe. You can find me, Jarrett underscore Smith. Remember to check out Dirty South Soccer, your source for Atlanta United news, and we'll be back.